Chapters 25 and 26 of Don Quixote, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Don Quixote, Volume 2 by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by William Ormsby. Chapter 25. Wherein is set down the braying adventure and the droll one of the puppet showman, together with the memorable divinations of the divining ape. Don Quixote's bread would not bake, as the common saying is, until he had heard and learned the curious things promised by the man who carried the arms. He went to seek him where the innkeeper said he was, and having found him, bade him say now at any rate what he had to say in answer to the question he had asked him on the road. The tale of my wonders must be taken more leisurely and not standing, said the man. Let me finish foddering my beast, good sir, and then I'll tell you things that will astonish you. Don't wait for that, said Don Quixote. I'll help you in everything. And so he did, sifting the barley for him and cleaning out the manger, a degree of humility which made the other feel bound to tell him, with a good grace, what he had asked. So seating himself on a bench, with Don Quixote beside him, and the cousin, the page, Sancho Panza, and the landlord, for a senate and an audience, he began his story in this way. You must know that in a village four leagues and a half from this inn, it so happened that one of the regidors, by the tricks and roguery of a servant girl of his, it's too long a tale to tell, lost an ass and though he did all he possibly could to find it, it was all to no purpose. A fortnight might have gone by, so the story goes, since the ass had been missing, when, as the regidor who had lost it was standing in the plaza, another regidor of the same town said to him, Pay me for good news, gossip, your ass has turned up. That I will, and well, gossip, said the other, but tell us where has he turned up? In the forest, said the finder, I saw him this morning without pack-saddle or harness of any sort, and so lean that it went to one's heart to see him. I tried to drive him before me to bring him to you, but he is already so wild and shy that when I went near him he made off into the thickest part of the forest. If you have a mind that we too should go back and look for him, let me put up this she-ass at my house, and I'll be back at once. You will be doing me a great kindness, said the owner of the ass, and I'll try to pay it back in the same coin. It is with all these circumstances, and in the very same way I am telling it now, that those who know all about the matter tell the story. Well, then, the two regidors set off on foot, arm in arm, for the forest, and coming to the place where they hoped to find the ass, they could not find him, nor was he to be seen anywhere about, search as they might. Seeing, then, that there was no sign of him, the regidor who had seen him said to the other, Look here, gossip, a plan has occurred to me, by which, beyond a doubt, we shall manage to discover the animal, even if he is stowed away in the bowels of the earth, not to say the forest. Here it is. I can bray to perfection, and if you can ever so little, the thing's as good as done. Ever so little, did you say, gossip? said the other. By God, I'll not give in to anybody, not even to the asses themselves. We'll soon see, said the second regidor for my plan is that you should go to one side of the forest, and I the other, so as to go all round about it, and every now and then you will bray, and I will bray, and it cannot be but the ass will hear us, and answer us if he is in the forest. 
to which the owner of the ass replied, It's an excellent plan, I declare, gossip, and worthy of your great genius. And the two separating as agreed, it so fell out that they brayed almost at the same moment, and each, deceived by the braying of the other, ran to look, fancying the ass had turned up at last. When they came in sight of one another, said the loser, Is it possible, gossip, that it was not my ass that brayed? No, it was I, said the other. Well, then, I can tell you, gossip, said the ass's owner, that between you and an ass there is not an atom of difference as far as braying goes, for I never in all my life saw or heard anything more natural. Those praises and compliments belong to you more justly than to me, gossip, said the inventor of the plan. For, by the God that made me, you might give a couple of brays odds to the best and most finished brayer in the world. The tone you have got is deep, your voice is well kept up as to time and pitch, and your finishing notes come thick and fast. In fact, I own myself beaten, and yield the palm to you, and give in to you in this rare accomplishment. Well then, said the owner, I'll set a higher value on myself for the future, and consider that I know something, as I have an excellence of some sort. For though I always thought I braid well, I never supposed I came up to the pitch of perfection you say. And I say too, said the second, that there are rare gifts going to loss in the world, and that they are ill bestowed upon those who don't know how to make use of them. Ours, said the owner of the ass, unless it is in cases like this that we have now in hand, cannot be of any service to us, and even in this God grant they may be of some use. So saying they parted, and took to their braying once more, but every instant they were deceiving one another, and coming to meet one another again, until they arranged by way of countersign, so as to know that it was they and not the ass, to give two brays one after the other. In this way, doubling the brays at every step, they made the complete circuit of the forest, but the lost ass never gave them an answer, or even the sign of one. How could the poor ill-starred brute have answered, when, in the thickest part of the forest, they found him devoured by wolves? As soon as he saw him, his owner said, I was wondering he did not answer, for if he wasn't dead he'd have brayed when he heard us, or he'd have been no ass. But for the sake of having heard you bray to such perfection, gossip, I count the trouble I have taken to look for him well bestowed, even though I have found him dead. It's in a good hand, gossip, said the other. If the abbot sings well, the acolyte is not much behind him. So they returned disconsolate and hoarse to their village, where they told their friends, neighbors, and acquaintances what had befallen them in their search for the ass, each crying up the other's perfection in braying. The whole story came to be known and spread abroad through the villages of the neighborhood, and the devil, who never sleeps, with his love for sowing dissensions and scattering discord everywhere, blowing mischief about and making quarrels out of nothing, contrived to make the people of the other towns fall to braying whenever they saw any one from our village, as if to throw the braying of our rehidors in our teeth. Then the boys took to it, which was the same thing for it as getting into the hands and mouths of all the devils of hell, and braying spread from one town to another in such a way that the men of the braying town are as easy to be known as blacks are to be known from whites, and the unlucky joke has gone so far that several times the scoffed have come out in arms in a body to do battle with the scoffers, and neither king nor rook, fear nor shame, can mend matters. Tomorrow, or the day after, I believe, the men of my town, that is, of the braying town, are going to take the field against another village two leagues away from ours, 
one of those that persecute us most. And that we may turn out well prepared, I have bought these lances and halberds you have seen. These are the curious things I told you I had to tell, and if you don't think them so, I have got no others. And with this the worthy fellow brought his story to a close. Just at this moment there came in at the gate of the inn a man entirely clad in chamois leather, hose, breeches, and doublet, who said in a loud voice, Senor host, have you room? Here's the divining ape and the show of the release of Melisandra just coming. Odd's body, said the landlord. Why, it's Master Pedro. We're in for a grand night. I forgot to mention that the said Master Pedro had his left eye and nearly half his cheek covered with a patch of green taffety, showing that something ailed all that side. Your worship is welcome, Master Pedro, continued the landlord, but where are the ape and the show, for I don't see them. They are close at hand, said he in the chamois leather, but I came on first to know if there was any room. I'd make the Duke of Alva himself clear out to make room for Master Pedro, said the landlord. Bring in the ape and the show. There's company in the inn tonight that will pay to see that and the cleverness of the ape. So be it by all means, said the man with the patch. I'll lower the price and be well satisfied if I only pay my expenses. And now I'll go back and hurry on the cart with the ape and the show. And with this he went out of the inn. Don Quixote at once asked the landlord what this master Pedro was, and what was the show and what was the ape he had with him. Which the landlord replied, This is a famous puppet showman, who for some time past has been going about this Mancha de Aragon, exhibiting a show of the release of Melisandra by the famous Don Gaiferos, one of the best and best represented stories that we have seen in this part of the kingdom for many a year. He has also with him an ape of the most extraordinary gift ever seen in an ape or imagined in a human being, for if you ask him anything, he listens attentively to the question, and then jumps on his master's shoulder, and pressing close to his ear, tells him the answer which Master Pedro then delivers. He says a great deal more about things past than about things to come, and though he does not always hit the truth in every case, most times he is not far wrong, so that he makes us fancy he has got the devil in him. He gets two reals for every question if the ape answers, I mean if his master answers for him after he has whispered into his ear, and so it is believed that this same Master Pedro is very rich. He is a gallant man, as they say in Italy, and good company, and leads the finest life in the world, talks more than six, drinks more than a dozen, and all by his tongue, and his ape, and his show. Master Pedro now came back, and in a cart followed the show and the ape, a big one, without a tail, and with buttocks as bare as felt, but not vicious-looking. As soon as Don Quixote saw him, he asked him, Can you tell me, Sir Fortune-teller, what fish do we catch, and how it will be with us? See, here are my two reals. And he bade Sancho to give them to Master Pedro. But he answered for the ape, and said, Senor, this animal does not give any answer or information touching things that are to come. Of things past he knows something, and more or less of things present. Gad, said Sancho, I would not give a farthing to be told what's past with me, for who knows that better than I do myself? And to pay for being told what I know would be mighty foolish. But as you know things present, here are my two reals, and tell me, most excellent Sir Ape, what is my wife Teresa Panza doing now, and what is she diverting herself with? 
Master Pedro refused to take the money, saying, I will not receive payment in advance, or until the service has been first rendered. And then with his right hand he gave a couple of slaps on his left shoulder, and with one spring the ape perched himself upon it, and putting his mouth to his master's ear, began chattering his teeth rapidly. And having kept this up as long as one would be saying a credo, with another spring he brought himself to the ground, and at the same instant Master Pedro ran in great haste, and fell upon his knees before Don Quixote, and embracing his legs exclaimed, These legs do I embrace as I would embrace the two pillars of Hercules, O illustrious reviver of knight-errantry, so long consigned to oblivion. O never yet duly extolled knight, Don Quixote of La Mancha, courage of the faint-hearted, prop of the tottering, arm of the fallen, staff and counsel of all who are unfortunate. Don Quixote was thunderstruck, Sancho astounded, the cousin staggered, the page astonished, the man from the braying town agape, the landlord in perplexity, and in short, every one amazed at the words of the puppet showman, who went on to say, And thou, worthy Sancho Panza, the best squire and squire to the best knight in the world, be of good cheer, for thy good wife Teresa is well, and she is at this moment hackling a pound of flax, and more by token she has at her left hand a jug with a broken spout that holds a good drop of wine, with which she solaces herself at her work. That I can well believe, said Sancho. She is a lucky one, and if it was not for her jealousy I would not change her for the giantess Andadona, who by my master's account was a very clever and worthy woman. My Teresa is one of those that won't let themselves want for anything, though their heirs may have to pay for it. Now I declare, said Don Quixote, he who reads much and travels much sees and knows a great deal. I say so because what amount of persuasion could have persuaded me that there are apes in the world that can divine as well as I have seen now with my own eyes? For I am that very Don Quixote of La Mancha this worthy animal refers to, though he has gone rather too far in my praise. But whatever I may be, I thank heaven that it has endowed me with a tender and compassionate heart, always disposed to do good to all and harm to none. If I had money, said the page, I would ask Senor Ape what will happen me in the peregrination I am making. To this Master Pedro, who had by this time risen from Don Quixote's feet, replied, I have already said that this little beast gives no answer as to the future. But if he did, not having money would be of no consequence, for to oblige Senor Don Quixote here present, I would give up all the profits in the world. And now, because I have promised it, and to afford him pleasure, I will set up my show and offer entertainment to all who are in the inn, without any charge whatever. As soon as he heard this, the landlord, delighted beyond measure, pointed out a place where the show might be fixed, which was done at once. Don Quixote was not very well satisfied with the divinations of the ape, as he did not think it proper that an ape should divine anything, either past or future. So while Master Pedro was arranging the show, he retired with Sancho into a corner of the stable, where, without being overheard by any one, he said to him, Look here, Sancho, I have been seriously thinking over this ape's extraordinary gift, and have come to the conclusion that beyond doubt, this Master Pedro, his master, has a pact, tacit or express, with the devil. If the packet is express from the devil, said Sancho, it must be a very dirty packet, no doubt. But what good can it do Master Pedro to have such packets? 
Thou dost not understand me, Sancho, said Don Quixote. I only mean he must have made some compact with the devil to infuse this power into the ape, that he may get his living, and after he has grown rich he will give him his soul, which is what the enemy of mankind wants. This I am led to believe by observing that the ape only answers about things past or present, and the devil's knowledge extends no further, for the future he knows only by guesswork, and that not always, for it is reserved for God alone to know the times and the seasons, and for him there is neither past nor future, all is present. This being as it is, it is clear that this ape speaks by the spirit of the devil, and I am astonished they have not denounced him to the holy office, and put him to the question, and forced it out of him by whose virtue it is that he divines. Because it is certain this ape is not an astrologer, neither his master nor he sets up, nor knows how to set up, those figures they call judiciary, which are now so common in Spain that there is not a jade or page or old cobbler that will not undertake to set up a figure as readily as pick up a knave of cards from the ground, bringing to naught the marvelous truth of the science by their lies and ignorance. I know of a lady who asked one of these figure-schemers whether her little lapdog would be in pup and would breed, and how many and of what color the little pups would be, to which Senor Astrologer, after having set up his figure, made answer that the bitch would be in pup, and would drop three pups, one green, another bright red, and the third party colored, provided she conceived between eleven and twelve, either of the day or night, and on a Monday or Saturday. But as things turned out, two days after this the bitch died of a surfeit, and Signor Planet Ruler had the credit all over the place of being the most profound astrologer, as most of these planet rulers have. Still, said Sancho, I would be glad if your worship would make Master Pedro ask the ape whether what happened your worship in the cave of Montesinos is true, for, begging your worship's pardon, I, for my part, take it to have been all flam and lies, or at any rate something you dreamt. That may be, replied Don Quixote. However, I do what you suggest, though I have my own scruples about it. At this point Master Pedro came up in quest of Don Quixote, to tell him his show was now ready, and to come and see it, for it was worth seeing. Don Quixote explained his wish, and begged him to ask his ape at once to tell him whether certain things which had happened to him in the cave of Montesinos were dreams or realities, for to him they appeared to partake of both. Upon this Master Pedro, without answering, went back to fetch the ape, and, having placed it in front of Don Quixote and Sancho, said, See here, Señor Ape, this gentleman wishes to know whether certain things which happened to him in the cave called the Cave of Montesinos were false or true. On his making the usual sign, the ape mounted on his left shoulder, and seemed to whisper in his ear, and Master Pedro said at once, The ape says that the things you saw, or what happened to you in that cave, are, part of them false, part true, and that he only knows this, and no more, as regards this question. But if your worship wishes to know more, on Friday next he will answer all that may be asked him, for his virtue is at present exhausted, and will not return to him till Friday, as he has said. Did I not say, Señor, said Sancho, that I could not bring myself to believe that all your worship said about the adventures in the cave was true, or even the half of it? The course of events will tell, Sancho, replied Don Quixote. Time, that discloses all things, leaves nothing that it does not drag into the light of day, though it be buried in the bosom of the earth. 
but enough of that for the present. Let us go and see Master Pedro's show, for I am sure there must be something novel in it. Something, said Master Pedro, this show of mine has sixty thousand novel things in it. Let me tell you, Señor Don Quixote, it is one of the best worth seeing things in the world this day. But operibus credite et non verbis, and now let's get to work, for it is growing late, and we have a great deal to do and to say and show. Don Quixote and Sancho obeyed him, and went to where the show was already put up and uncovered, set all around with lighted wax tapers, which made it look splendid and bright. When they came to it, Master Pedro ensconced himself inside it, for it was he who had to work the puppets, and a boy, a servant of his, posted himself outside to act as showman and explain the mysteries of the exhibition, having a wand in his hand to point to the figures as they came out. And so, all who were in the inn being arranged in front of the show, some of them standing, and Don Quixote, Sancho, the page, and cousin, accommodated with the best places, the interpreter began to say what he will hear or see who reads or hears the next chapter. Chapter 26 Wherein is continued the droll adventure of the puppet showman, together with other things in truth right good. All were silent, Tyrians and Trojans, I mean all who were watching the show were hanging on the lips of the interpreter of its wonders, when drums and trumpets were heard to sound inside it and cannon to go off. The noise was soon over, and then the boy lifted up his voice and said, This true story which is here represented to your worships is taken word for word from the French chronicles and from the Spanish ballads that are in everybody's mouth and in the mouth of the boys about the streets. Its subject is the release by Señor Don Gaiferos of his wife Melisendra, when a captive in Spain at the hands of the Moors in the city of Sansuena, for so they called then what is now called Saragossa. And there you may see how Don Gaiferos is playing at the tables, just as they sang it. At tables playing Don Gaiferos sits, for Melisendra is forgotten now. And that personage who appears there with a crown on his head and a scepter in his hand is the Emperor Charlemagne, the supposed father of Melisendra, who, angered to see his son-in-law's inaction and unconcern, comes in to chide him, and observe with what vehemence and energy he chides him, so that you would fancy he was going to give him half a dozen raps with his scepter, and indeed there are authors who say he did give them, and sound ones too, and after having said a great deal to him about imperiling his honor by not effecting the release of his wife, he said, so the tale runs, Enough I've said, see to it now. Observe, too, how the emperor turns away and leaves Don Gaiferos fuming, and you see now how in a burst of anger he flings the table and board far from him and calls in haste for his armor and asks his cousin Don Roland for the loan of his sword Durindana and how Don Roland refuses to lend it, offering him his company in the difficult enterprise he is undertaking but he, in his valor and anger, will not accept it, and says that he alone will suffice to rescue his wife, even though she were imprisoned deep in the center of the earth, and with this he retires to arm himself and set out on his journey at once. Now let your worships turn your eyes to that tower that appears there, which is supposed to be one of the towers of the Alcazar of Saragossa, now called the Alhaferia. That lady who appears on that balcony dressed in Moorish fashion is the peerless Melisendra, for many a time she used to gaze from thence upon the road to France, 
and seek consolation in her captivity by thinking of Paris and her husband. Observe, too, a new incident which now occurs, such as, perhaps, never was seen. Do you not see that Moore, who silently and stealthily, with his finger on his lip, approaches Melisandre from behind? Observe now how he prints a kiss upon her lips, and what a hurry she is in to spit, and wipe them with the white sleeve of her smock, and how she bewails herself, and tears her fair hair as though it were to blame for the wrong. Observe, too, that the stately Moor who is in that corridor is King Marsilio of Sansuena, who, having seen the Moor's insolence, at once orders him, though his kinsman and a great favorite of his, to be seized and given two hundred lashes, while carried through the streets of the city according to custom, with criers going before him and officers of justice behind. And here you see them come out to execute the sentence, although the offense has been scarcely committed. For among the Moors there are no indictments nor remands as with us. Here Don Quixote called out, Child, child, go straight on with your story, and don't run into curves and slants, for to establish a fact clearly there is need of a great deal of proof and confirmation. And said Master Pedro from within, Boy, stick to your text and do as the gentleman bids you. It's the best plan. Keep to your plain song and don't attempt harmonies, for they are apt to break down from being over fine. I will, said the boy, and he went on to say, This figure that you see here on horseback, covered with a Gascon cloak, is Don Gaiferos himself, whom his wife, now avenged of the insult of the amorous moor, and taking her stand on the balcony of the tower with a calmer and more tranquil countenance, has perceived without recognizing him. And she addresses her husband, supposing him to be some traveller, and holds with him all that conversation and colloquy in the ballad that runs. If you, sir knight, to France are bound, oh, for Gaiferos ask, which I do not repeat here because prolixity begets disgust, suffice it to observe how Don Gaiferos discovers himself, and that by her joyful gestures Melisandre shows us she has recognized him, and what is more, we now see she lowers herself from the balcony to place herself on the haunches of her good husband's horse. But, ah, unhappy lady, the edge of her petticoat has caught on one of the bars of the balcony, and she is left hanging in the air, unable to reach the ground. But you see how compassionate heaven sends aid in our sorest need. Don Gaiferos advances, and without minding whether the rich petticoat is torn or not, he seizes her and by force brings her to the ground, and then with one jerk places her on the haunches of his horse, astraddle like a man, and bids her hold on tight and clasp her arms about his neck, crossing them on his breast so as not to fall, for the lady Melisendra was not used to that style of riding. You see, too, how the neighing of the horse shows his satisfaction with the gallant and beautiful burden he bears in his lord and lady you see how they wheel round and quit the city, and in joy and gladness take the road to Paris. Go in peace, O peerless pair of true lovers. May you reach your longed-for fatherland in safety, and may fortune interpose no impediment on your prosperous journey. May the eyes of your friends and kinsmen behold you enjoying in peace and tranquility the remaining days of your life, and that they may be as many as those of Nestor. Here Master Pedro called out again and said, Simplicity, boy, none of your high flights, all affectation is bad. The interpreter made no answer, but went on to say, 
There was no want of idle eyes that see everything, to see Melisendra come down and mount, and word was brought to King Marsilio, who at once gave orders to sound the alarm. And see what a stir there is, and how the city is drowned with the sound of bells pealing in the towers of all the mosques. Nay, nay, said Don Quixote at this, on that point of the bells Master Pedro is very inaccurate, for bells are not in use among the moors, only kettle-drums and a kind of a small trumpet somewhat like our clarion. To ring bells this way in Sansuena is unquestionably a great absurdity. On hearing this, Master Pedro stopped ringing and said, Don't look into trifles, Señor Don Quixote, or want to have things up to a pitch of perfection that is out of reach. Are there not almost every day a thousand comedies represented all round us, full of thousands of inaccuracies and absurdities, and, for all that, they have a successful run, and are listened to not only with applause, but with admiration and all the rest of it? Go on, boy, and don't mind. For so long as I fill my pouch, no matter if I show as many inaccuracies as there are motes in a sunbeam. True enough, said Don Quixote, and the boy went on. See what a numerous and glittering cloud of horsemen issues from the city in pursuit of the two faithful lovers, what a blowing of trumpets there is, what sounding of horns, what beating of drums and tabors. I fear me they shall overtake them and bring them back tied to the tail of their own horse, which would be a dreadful sight. Don Quixote, however, seeing such a swarm of moors and hearing such a din, thought it would be right to aid the fugitives, and standing up he exclaimed in a loud voice, Never, while I live, will I permit foul play to be practiced in my presence on such a famous knight and fearless lover as Don Gaiferos. Halt, ill-born rabble, follow him not, nor pursue him, or ye will have to reckon with me in battle. And suiting the action to the word, he drew his sword, and with one bound placed himself close to the show, and with unexampled rapidity and fury began to shower down blows on the puppet troop of moors, knocking over some, decapitating others, maiming this one and demolishing that. And among many more he delivered one downstroke, which, if Master Pedro had not ducked, made himself small and got out of the way, would have sliced off his head as easily as if it had been made of almond paste. Master Pedro kept shouting, Hold hard! Señor Don Quixote! Can't you see they're not real moors you're knocking down and killing and destroying, but only little pasteboard figures? Look, sinner that I am, how you're wrecking and ruining all that I am worth. But in spite of this, Don Quixote did not leave off discharging a continuous rain of cuts, slashes, downstrokes, and backstrokes, and at length, in less than a space of two credos, he brought the whole show to the ground, with all its fittings and figures shivered and knocked to pieces, King Marsilio badly wounded, and the Emperor Charlemagne with his crown and head split in two. The whole audience was thrown into confusion, the ape fled to the roof of the inn, the cousin was frightened, and even Sancho Panza himself was in mighty fear, for, as he swore after the storm was over, he had never seen his master in such a furious passion. The complete destruction of the show being thus accomplished, Don Quixote became a little calmer, said, I wish I had here before me now, all those who do not or will not believe how useful knights errant are in the world. Just think, if I had not been here present, what would have become of the brave Don Gaiferos and the fair Melisendra? Depend upon it, by this time those dogs would have overtaken them and inflicted some outrage upon them. 
So then, long live knight errantry beyond everything living on earth this day. Let it live and welcome, said Master Pedro at this in a feeble voice, and let me die, for I am so unfortunate that I can say with King Don Rodrigo, Yesterday I was lord of Spain, today I've not a turret left that I may call mine own. Not half an hour, nay, barely a minute ago, I saw myself lord of kings and emperors, with my stables filled with countless horses, and my trunks and bags with gay dresses unnumbered. And now I find myself ruined and laid low, destitute and a beggar, and above all without my ape, for, by my faith, my teeth will have to sweat for it before I have him caught. And all through the reckless fury of Sir Knight here, who, they say, protects the fatherless, and rights wrongs, and does other charitable deeds, but whose generous intentions have been found wanting in my case only, blessed and praised be the highest heavens. Verily, knight of the rueful figure he must be to have disfigured mine. Sancho Panza was touched by Master Pedro's words, and said to him, Don't weep and lament, Master Pedro, you break my heart. Let me tell you my master, Don Quixote, is so Catholic and scrupulous a Christian that, if he can make out that he has done you any wrong, he will own it, and be willing to pay for it and make it good, and something over and above. Only let Señor Don Quixote pay me for some part of the work he has destroyed, said Master Pedro, and I would be content, and his worship would ease his conscience, for he cannot be saved who keeps what is another's against the owner's will and makes no restitution. That is true, said Don Quixote, but at present I am not aware that I have got anything of yours, Master Pedro. What? returned Master Pedro, and these relics lying here on the bare hard ground, what scattered and shattered them but the invincible strength of that mighty arm? And whose were the bodies they belonged to but mine? And what did I get my living by but by them? Now I am fully convinced, said Don Quixote, of what I had many a time before believed that the enchanters who persecute me do nothing more than put figures like these before my eyes, and then change and turn them into what they please. In truth and earnest, I assure you gentlemen who now hear me, that to me everything that has taken place here seemed to take place literally, that Melisandra was Melisandra, Don Gaiferos, Don Gaiferos, Marsilio, Marsilio, and Charlemagne, Charlemagne. That was why my anger was roused, and to be faithful to my calling as a knight-errant, I sought to give aid and protection to those who fled, and with this good intention I did what you have seen. If the result has been the opposite of what I intended, it is no fault of mine, but of those wicked beings that persecute me. But, for all that, I am willing to condemn myself in costs for this error of mine, though it did not proceed from malice. Let Master Pedro see what he wants for the spoiled figures, for I agree to pay it at once in good and current money of Castile." Master Pedro made him a bow, saying, I expected no less of the rare Christianity of the valiant Don Quixote of La Mancha, true helper and protector of all destitute and needy vagabonds. Master Landlord here and the great Sancho Panza shall be the arbitrators and appraisers between your worship and me of what these dilapidated figures are worth or may be worth. The Landlord and Sancho consented, and then Master Pedro picked up from the ground King Marsilio of Saragossa with his head off, and said, Here you see how impossible it is to restore this king to his former state, so I think, saving your better judgments, that for his death, decease, and demise, 
four reals and a half may be given me. Proceed, said Don Quixote. Well, then, for this cleavage from top to bottom, continued Master Pedro, taking up the split Emperor Charlemagne, it would not be much if I were to ask five reals and a quarter. It's not little, said Sancho. Nor is it much, said the landlord. Make it even and say five reals. Let him have the whole five and a quarter, said Don Quixote, for the sum total of this notable disaster does not stand on a quarter more or less, and make an end of it quickly, Master Pedro, for it's getting on to supper-time, and I have some hints of hunger. For this figure, said Master Pedro, that is without a nose, and wants an eye, and is the fair Melisandra, I ask, and I am reasonable in my charge, two reals and twelve maravedis. The very devil must be in it, said Don Quixote, if Melisandra and her husband are not by this time at least on the French border, for the horse they rode on seemed to me to fly rather than gallop. So you needn't try to sell me the cat for the hare, showing me here a noseless Melisandra when she is now, maybe, enjoying herself at her ease with her husband in France. God help every one to his own, Master Pedro, and let us all proceed fairly and honestly, and now go on. Master Pedro, perceiving that Don Quixote was beginning to wander, and return to his original fancy, was not disposed to let him escape, so he said to him, This cannot be Melisandra, but must be one of the damsels that waited on her. So if I'm given sixty maravedis for her, I'll be content and sufficiently paid. And so he went on, putting values on ever so many more smashed figures, which, after the two arbitrators had adjusted them to the satisfaction of both parties, came to forty reals and three quarters, and over and above this sum, which Sancho at once dispersed, Master Pedro asked for two reals for his trouble in catching the ape. Let him have them, Sancho, said Don Quixote, not to catch the ape, but to get drunk, and two hundred would I give this minute for the good news, to any one who could tell me positively, that the lady Doña Melisandra and Señor Don Gaiferos are now in France and with their own people. No one could tell us that better than my ape, said Master Pedro, but there's no devil that could catch him now. I suspect, however, that affection and hunger will drive him to come looking for me tonight, but tomorrow we'll soon be here and we shall see. In short, the puppet show storm passed off, and all supped in peace and good fellowship at Don Quixote's expense, for he was the height of generosity. Before it was daylight, the man with the lances and halberds took his departure, and soon after daybreak the cousin and the page came to bid Don Quixote farewell, the former returning home, the latter resuming his journey, towards which to help him, Don Quixote gave him twelve reals. Master Pedro did not care to engage in any more palaver with Don Quixote, whom he knew right well, so he rose before the sun, and having got together the remains of his show and caught his ape, he too went off to seek his adventures. The landlord, who did not know Don Quixote, was as much astonished at his mad freaks as at his generosity. To conclude, Sancho, by his master's orders, paid him very liberally, and taking leave of him they quitted the inn at about eight in the morning, and took to the road, where we will leave them to pursue their journey, for this is necessary in order to allow certain other matters to be set forth, which are required to clear up this famous history. End of chapters 25 and 26